Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We've been looking at the whole issue of wilderness. And the wilderness, especially the Judean wilderness, was not something that you and I would want to experience. It's a place of difficulty. It's a place of loneliness. And it's a place where our fears, your fears, can become very real to you. And we really don't like fear, do we? In fact, you know, one person once said that you know, 90% of what we're afraid of never happens. But you might be sitting there and you're saying, well, what about the 10%? I'm afraid of the 10%. And so the wilderness is a place where that is extenuated. And as we're looking at these verses here, these first verses in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we're going to see that Luke, the writer Luke, the gospel writer, is taking us to the wilderness. We've been introduced to John and his ministry in the wilderness, and today he's going to introduce us to Jesus. And today and then the next few weeks, we're going to see Jesus in the wilderness, and we're going to learn some things. In fact, the passage that we're going to look at today really seems insignificant, because if you were reading these, this passage in your devotional time, you'd read verse 21 and 22 about the baptism of Jesus, and then you come to verse 23 to 38, and it's that begat session. And so-and-so begat so-and-so. And, you know, it's that whole list of names there, and from Jesus all the way down to Adam. And it's like, what, what is this for me? What does this mean to me? But, you know, it's really easy for us to want to skip over that. But as we talk about dealing with the fears in our wilderness experiences, I think you're going to see that these verses have a significance. There is a reason why Luke puts these verses there. Because these verses reveal something about Jesus that is so very important for you and I in our daily lives. But before we get to that, let's talk about what our greatest overwhelming fear is. Let's talk about what our overwhelming fear is. And so the first thing I want you to see as we consider what our overwhelming fear is, I want you to understand that, first of all, that we were created to be relational people. We were created to be relational people. When God created you, He didn't create you to be an island unto yourself. Does everybody understand that? You might be an introvert. I'm an introvert. You might be an extrovert. Even though you're an introvert or you might be an extrovert, you were created to be with people because introverts like to be with people as well. They just like to be with them in one-on-one settings, not necessarily in a group setting. But the reality is, is that all of us like to be with people. We're relational. God wired us that way. From the very beginning, you see that when God created Adam, He said it's not good for Adam to be what? Alone. So He created out of him what? Eve. And the two became one. And there's that sense in which we were created to be relational beings. We were created to have a relationship with each other. We were created to have a relationship with God. And that's what you see in the garden. You see the reality of that. And you say, what does that have to do with our overwhelming fear? Well, let's kind of help you a little bit here. Sin alienated us then. Sin alienated us from God and each other. When the fall occurred in the garden, what happened was a sin entered into it. And when you look at the, that 
those first three chapters of Genesis, you find something very interesting that happens there. Not only now are they alienated from God because of their sin, part of the curse was is that Adam and Eve were now alienated from each other. And you see God saying that, that her desire would be for a husband. Well, that desire wasn't that she would desire her husband, is that she would want to be over her husband. And then he has something going on there. So there's a problem that stems right from the very beginning because of sin within the relationship. The sin creates a problem within our relationships. And so we feel alienated from each other. In fact, you're here today, and even though you might have a loving relationship with your spouse, I can almost guarantee it that you're still sitting there thinking, even though it's loving, she still doesn't completely, or he doesn't still completely understand me. They can't completely understand the feelings that you have. Or they misjudge your motives and things. Ever have that happen, couples? Well, I know why you did that. Well, yeah, that may have been true last week, but this week's a different week. Isn't that true? See, sin alienates our relationships. And so that brings us to our greatest fear. And here's our greatest fear. Our greatest fear is loneliness. So much of what goes on today comes from loneliness. Bruce Larson in Leadership Journal said this, Loneliness is the psychic pain that drives us to do something about our isolation. That's just the way people are made. You, you, you know, as, as a pastor, I, you know, I interact in people's lives, and you will be surprised that people will do things, and the root stem of why they do it is because they're afraid of being alone. They enter into relationships that maybe aren't right. They do things that maybe should not be done. And the reality is, that the isolation creates a problem in our lives. And we don't like that fear. We don't like that fear of being alone, and it causes us to do things that are crazy. And here's the reality. We talk about human relationships in that way. Here's what I want you to understand. The biggest fear beyond that is feeling isolated from God. Every one of us feels that way. At some point, we get to the place where we wonder, does God really care? Does God really understand what's going on in my life right now? Does he understand what I'm facing? Does he understand the difficulties? Does he understand the pain? Does he understand the heartache? Does he understand the temptations I'm facing? Does he understand the struggles I'm going through? And we could go on and on and on, and every one of us wrestles with, does God understand? Does God really understand? How can he understand? He doesn't live my life. He hasn't lived my life. We wrestle with those things, don't we? And we struggle. That's our fear. Our fear is isolation. Our fear is loneliness, not just from each other, but from God. And loneliness is real. I mean, you could be in this room right now with all these people here and feel alone. In fact, being in a crowd extenuates the loneliness, doesn't it? Especially if you feel that you're not a part of the crowd. And that's our greatest fear. Now you say, okay, what does this got to do with Jesus? Well, I want you to see something here in this passage. Why Luke puts this passage in here, two verses about the baptism and the genealogy, is because he wants us to understand a theological concept that is called identification. You say, now what does that mean? You understand identification in terms of an ID or something of identifying who you are. Theologically, it also means that you identify with or you relate to or you share the experience with. See, what Luke is doing here by showing us the baptism and by showing us his genealogy of where of his human side, 
He wants us to understand that this Jesus identifies with you. In fact, we'll look at some other passages that give us that clearly. So let's first of all look at the whole issue of his action. First of all, the baptism. Look with me at verse 21 and 22 and notice what it says. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. While he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you... I am well pleased. So here's what I want you to see. First of all, he identified himself with the people. He identified himself with the people. Here's what's going on here, because John came and he was baptizing, and he was baptizing in preparation for Jesus coming. And so here's what would happen. He would preach, and the people would respond to his message, and they would respond to his message out of repentance, out of conviction of their sin. And so they were baptized in a baptism of repentance. That is, they were wanting the Messiah to come, and they were saying through their baptism, we are preparing our hearts for the Messiah to come. It was a sinner acknowledging his sin and expressing his need for the Messiah. That's what that baptism was. And so Luke is saying here that while they were being, while the people were doing that, Jesus comes, he's the Messiah, and he gets baptized with the very same baptism. But let's remember something now. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. He was without sin. Jesus doesn't need to wait for the Messiah, for a Savior. He is the Savior. So why is he getting baptized? Because in his obedience to the Father, he was relating, identifying with each and every one of us. That's how God was. He wanted to get right down where we were at on our level to experience what we experienced. And so through that act, through that act of baptism, he identified himself with the people. Now notice this is how God is. Here's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He doesn't set himself up here and say, yo, I'm up here. The rest of you are down here and stay down here. What does he do? From the very nature of who he was from coming from heavens, he came down to what? Our level. He identified with us. Isn't that awesome about Jesus? Isn't that awesome about Jesus? Now, here's what happened. Because he did that, because he identified himself with us in that way, the Father was pleased with Jesus' obedience. He was pleased with it. Notice what it says there, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved son, and you I'm well pleased. What's going on here? Back in Philippians, Paul gives us perspective of what's going on here, and he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then notice what it says. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Here's what's going on. Because Jesus is identifying himself with us, the Messiah, the Savior, is saying, I am with these folks that I have come to reach. I am on their level. The Father says, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. He's being obedient. That's a reality, and that's something we can grasp. 
few years ago, the New York Times Magazine had an article, a story actually, from a woman by the name of Nancy Rain. And in the story, she shared something that she heard 25 years earlier from a friend named George. She writes, in those days, work crews marked construction sites by putting out smudge pots with open flames. George's four-year-old daughter got too close to one and her pants caught fire like the straw man stuffing. The scarves running the length and breadth of Sarah's legs looked like pieces of jigsaw puzzle. In third grade, she was asked, if you could only have one wish, what would it be? Sarah wrote, I want everyone to have legs like mine. When we suffer pain, we want others to understand. We want others to be like us so they can identify with us. We do not want to be alone. When Jesus became a man, he did something far more difficult than having legs like Sarah's. When Jesus came, he identified right where you're at. See, you're sitting here today and you're wondering, you know what, my life is upside down or it's beginning to become upside down and does anybody really know? And, and you look around at people in your life and you wonder, does anybody really care? And all you want is someone in your life who will look and who will say, I understand. But see, even as you look for that, the problem is you're never going to find anybody who understands. No human being can understand. Even if they've gone through the same experience, what you're experiencing and the emotions because of the uniqueness of who you are, what you're going through is different than what they went through. But yet, I want you to see something here. This is what Luke is showing us in this passage, is that there is the Messiah, the Savior, who comes and he identifies himself with us. He understands. Isn't that an awesome thought? Isn't that an awesome thought about Jesus? They say, what do I do with that, George? What do I do with that thought? Here, it just, just popped in my brain. Here's what you do with that. We're going to leave here, and you're going to go about your day, you might go out to a restaurant, you may go home and eat leftovers or have a meal or whatever. You're going to sit, there's no football game today, so you're going to sit down and watch something. And so, maybe basketball. You're going to, you're going to do your thing, or hockey. And, but when you're alone, the reality of what's going on in your life is going to hit you at some point. Or it already is. Maybe some of you is hitting you right now. When you're alone, you're going, to, you're going to start the question, does, does anybody really understand what's going on with you? I'm struggling. The pain is real. And is, for some, the pain may be sharp, and, this, and the, some, the pain may be a, like a dull thud if it's there. And, and you're, you're going to be there, and you're going to wonder, does anybody really care? Here's what you do with what you just learned. You realize that as you look around at humanity, you say, no, they don't understand. They can't understand. And even though how much you try to get your spouse to understand, they're not going to get it. So don't get angry with them. Isn't that what we do? What can't you just understand? No, they're not going to understand. But here's what you've got to understand. There is someone who does. He knows exactly how you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows what the outcome will be. He knows everything. And you just need to take that time and go to him and say, Jesus... You're the only one who understands. And I need you right now to come down in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of what I'm going through. And I need you to come down in, and I need you to take me into your arms. And I need you to love me. I need you to give me strength. I need you to give me peace. And I need you to give me wisdom to know what I need to do. But I need you right now, Lord. Come. 
See, that's what you do with something you learn like this. When you learn that he identifies with you, you realize that he's got time for you. He identifies with you. That's what Jesus was doing. See, our greatest fear is what? Loneliness, isn't it? Loneliness. We're so afraid of being alone. And the reality is, is we don't have to be alone. God's right there for us. Now, you say, now, what does that got to, now what's the genealogy got to do with this, George? Well, what I want you to see is as Luke goes through this genealogy, we're not going to read it because there's a lot of names here that are hard to pronounce, but I want you to notice with me verse 23. Now Jesus himself begat his, began his ministry about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Helial. I want you to notice now, as we go down further in the passage, he then tells us that he was, verse 31, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon. And as you go down further, verse 34, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor. And as you go down further, you then find out that he was the son of Noah. And as you finish the passage, in verse 38, you realize that he is the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, what does that all mean? Here's what Luke's trying to do. is He goes through this list of names, of his genealogy. And understand something. Your genealogy is who you are. You may, you know, some of you maybe aren't happy with the family you came from and you try to separate yourself, but you can't separate yourself from your family. Everybody understand that? Who you are is who you are. And what Luke is trying to do here is he's going through, not just through his Jewish genealogy, not just through his Davidic lineage, He's going through his entire humanity from Adam on up. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to show us that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so there's two things I want you to see here about this. First of all, Jesus represents the known and unknown. As you look through that list, some of the names will stick out immediately to you and you'll say, yeah, I know who that is. Joseph, yep, I know who that is. Yeah, I know who, I know who David is. Yeah, mighty David. I know who Boaz is. Yep. Heartthrob that went after Ruth. Yep, I know all this. Noah, yeah, the guy with the ark. But let me ask you a question. Verse 29. You know who Joram is? Anybody here know who Joram is? Raise your hand. Okay, let's, let's go on. Verse 28. Eddie. Anybody know Eddie? Nope. And we're not talking about Edward either. How about Ur? These people are virtually unknown to who... They would all know them, do they? But here's what's happening. Luke is giving us this genealogy, and by showing us this genealogy, here's what Luke is doing. He represents not just people who are known, the elite. Because when you look at those names and you look at the known names, they're the Bible heroes. They're the men who stood up for God. When you mention the other guys, they're the unknown people. You don't know what they were like. You say, now what's the significance of that? Here's what happens. You can get to the place in your loneliness that you feel that you are insignificant and that God's promises are for everyone else but you. In fact, you've, you've made up imaginary asterisks in your Bible that refer to a footnote that you've written there for yourself that says, this is for everyone else but me. And when you look at the Savior of the world, the Savior of the world, when you read that list, the genealogy of who he was, there were some significant people in that list but there were some quite a few insignificant people. In fact, I would say that most, 75% of the list is insignificant. You won't read their names anywhere in a theological discussion. See, he can identify with us. 
Yeah, I haven't noticed many, very many of you being interviewed on TV lately about your opinion about what's going on. Isn't that what Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians, that there are not many wise, not many strong, not many among us who are super people? See, that's, that's the point I want you to see here, is that he represents the known and the unknown. But there's something else I want you to see here, and that is that Jesus came to save all people. Jesus came to save all people. He came to save not just the Jews, because Luke's purpose in showing it is, yes, he shows his Jewish lineage from Abraham on, but he also shows the lineage from Abraham down to Adam, which is what? Humanity. He's the Savior of all people. And listen, you need to be thankful for that, because I don't think there are too many people here with Jewish lineage. Maybe you, maybe you are, you haven't told me that, but the reality is, is, my friends, if he only came for the Jews, we would be lost. We'd have no hope. And so Luke, by showing this, because his genealogy differs from Matthew's in many ways, and this is one way that it differs, because with Matthew's genealogy, he doesn't go all the way back to Adam. See, that's not Luke's purpose. Luke's purpose, because Luke is probably a Gentile, is to show that this is a Savior, not just for the Jews, but a Savior for who? For all of us. You say, okay, George, what, what, what do I do with this? Well, you've got to ask yourself a question, and we'll look at a couple statements. Number one, do you feel isolated from Jesus? Do you feel isolated from Jesus? See, that's a very real issue. You need to take a step back, because here's what's saying. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Some of you I do, because I interact with you. But even then, as I interact with you, you only share with me what you can humanly express. Have you noticed that words can only express so much about what we're feeling? Have you noticed that? And even when you express those words, I may take your words a different way than you meant them. Do you know what I mean? Some of you know that with your interaction with your spouse. You said one thing, they, they thought it meant you said something else. They maybe even added to it. And, and here's the thing. You're going through something, but only you knows the extent of what you're going through. And there's a fear. And it's subtle. And it's there, whether you realize it or not. There's a fear that's in the underlying background of what's going on in your life, and you're afraid. Because you're afraid of going through this alone. Isn't that real? How many of you say that? That's a real feeling. Yeah, I agree. I can see what you're saying, dude. And here's what I'm saying. And in the reality of what you're going through, when we bring God into the picture, you wonder if he really even cares. You ask questions like, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Why is this happening to me? God, don't you know I've been serving you? I've been faithful to you. I give. I, I attend. Why, why am I going through this? What, I didn't ask for this, Lord. I didn't ask for this. Those are real feelings, aren't they? We wrestle with that sometimes, don't we? They're real. They're very real to us. And so when you think about it, listen, when you think about it, you begin to feel like you are just all by yourself. And listen, the enemy will come. And here's the other thing. We've got to remember our enemy. He will come in and he will extenuate those feelings of feeling of you feeling isolated. He will come to you and say, you are alone, nobody cares, God doesn't care. So the question you've got to ask yourself right now is this. Do you feel isolated from Jesus? Just be real and honest with yourself. Don't say, oh no, I know that he's in my heart, and I know I'm okay, but yet you still feel the same way. Say, what do you mean, George? Well, have you ever noticed that in your relationship with your spouse, you know you're married, but you just don't feel connected to them? How many of you have experienced that? Let's be honest. Yeah, we all have, haven't we? You know you're married, but you sure don't feel married. 
See, you know you're saved, and you know Jesus is there, and the Holy Spirit's within you, but you don't what? Feel it. You feel isolated from it. Because you wonder, does he really understand? This is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to think about. Is are you isolated from him? Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's the point. You've got to grasp this. It's a two-word statement. Jesus understands. See, here's the thing. You may be feeling that way, but you need to let truth have the high ground in your life, not your feelings. You say, what do you mean? See, some, some of us can operate so much by our feelings, and, you know, feelings are funny things, aren't they? Like, for instance, I'm going to go home and I'm going to take a power nap. This is just going to expend all the energy out of me. And I will snooze for three hours. Literally. I'll be out for three hours up in my room, my blankies on top of me, my pillow, and I will be out. And my kids will tell you, you don't interrupt me during my power nap. The only time of the week I get a nap, and it is a power nap for me, and it's like after being here and preaching and interacting with you, that just zaps the energy out of me because I'm an introvert. Now, here's the problem. When I get up at 5, I feel like a Mack truck has driven over me. I don't feel good. Now, if I base my life on those feelings, the rest of the evening is just going to be terrible and rotten. But I can't base my life on that feeling. I've got to throw myself in a shower and reinvigorate myself to be able to come back here for prayer meeting. Then I'll snooze again. So here's the thing I want you to see. Feelings can't govern your life. Especially when it comes to the reality of God and His relationship with you. It can't govern your life. So even though you feel isolated from Him, you've got to back up from your feelings and you've got to grasp the reality that if there's anyone who understands what I'm going through, it's Jesus. If there's anyone who understands the things I'm going through and the things I'm feeling and the pain I'm experiencing, it's Jesus. How do I know that? Because the writer of Hebrews says this. Listen to what he says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He understands completely how you feel. If there's anybody in the world that wants, you're wondering, does anyone know how I feel? Yes, Jesus does. He understands. And so you've got to let that truth be on the high ground in your life. And if you let that truth be on the high ground, you won't be guided by your feelings. You'll be guided by a love for Him. He understands. He knows what I'm going through. Listen, people can come up to you and say, oh, I understand. No, they don't. Don't tell them that, though. They'll feel good that they said that to you. But they don't. No one understands but Jesus. Isn't that the hymn? Isn't that the hymn we say? Jesus understands. Here's the point I want you to see. The final thing I want you to see is Jesus came for you. last thing I want you to see is we look at that aspect of the genealogy. He came for you. Jesus came for you. Little old you. With you and your warts and your problems. He came for us. Messed up people. He came for us. Aren't you glad he didn't come for perfect people? Because if you notice in the Gospels, and we're going to see this as we go through Luke, the number one group of people that Jesus always came in conflict with was who? Perfect people. Who followed him? Who loved him? People just like me and you. See, he came for us. He loves you. So you're not perfect. Great! You'll fit right in. Wonderful. He came for you. Recognize that. He's your Savior, your Lord, not somebody else's if you've trusted Him.
that's the reality. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.